It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome to Wise Guys here live on the Worldwide Sports Network on this Tuesday, September the 13th. Everybody remember go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. We are back here another week on the Wise Guys Sports Show. What a wonderful NFL week one that we had this previous weekend. So many games to get to. We're going to recap a lot of games tonight. We're going to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers upsetting the Cincinnati Bengals here in Cincinnati. Also, we're going to talk about the L.A. Chargers beating the Las Vegas Raiders and the Minnesota Vikings beat the Green Bay Packers over the weekend as well. So many games to get to. Justin Fields beat Trey Lance in Chicago as well. So a lot of games to get to. NFL week one is officially over and, and football is officially back. And so I'm definitely excited. I know NFL fans around the world are also excited. And so here we go again with another NFL season. And so call into the show tonight. If you want to talk about your team, whether they won or lost in week one, 513-203-8655, 503 8655 calling to the show tonight. Here's the question of the day. Which team had the most disappointing performance of week one? Is it the Packers, the 49ers, Bengals, or Titans? Call to the show. Packers, 49ers, Bengals, or Titans? Who had the most disappointing performance of the week? And I want to I want to read y'all the live results on Twitter right now as so we got the Bengals with 50% and the Packers with 50%. So right now on, my, on, on the Twitter, on the on the live voting on the Wise Guys Twitter page, most people believe the Packers and the Bengals had the most disappointing performance in week one. So call to the show. Give me your thoughts on the question of the day. But let's start off in Seattle as last night was homecoming for Russell Wilson as the Seattle Seahawks beat the Denver Broncos 17-16 to 16 in Russell Wilson's homecoming for the Seattle Seahawks. Geno Smith had one of his best games of his career. He went 23 of 28. He threw for 195 passing yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Russell Wilson had a mediocre game. He went 29 of 42. He threw for 340 passing yards. One touchdown, zero interceptions. Jerry Judy had a great game for the Broncos. He had four receptions, turning two receiving yards, one touchdown. So as we open up the show, I have to call out Nathaniel Hackett. I said this going into the game. I said if the Seattle Seahawks go 1-16 this season, if their one and only win comes against Russell Wilson on opening night, when he returns back to Seattle, Pete Carroll and the Seattle Seahawks organization and fans would be satisfied if they beat Russell Wilson on opening night in his return back to Seattle. I feel like that would be a successful season for the Seattle Seahawks because the Seattle Seahawks, they don't have major expectations this season. Most people believe, including myself, that the Seahawks are going to finish last in the NFC West. They don't really have a quarterback. I know Geno Smith played well last night. I want to give him a lot of credit because 
Geno Smith played great last night. And and, and and by the way, he 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 had one of the best bars that I've heard recently. He said they wrote me off, but I didn't write back. He said that in his post-game interview after the game. So shout out to Geno Smith. He had an outstanding game. But Geno Smith is not a franchise quarterback that you can build your team around. And the Seattle Seahawks are rebuilding this season. So last night, in the early stages of the game, you could tell that the Seattle Seahawks brought that Seattle Seahawks crowd that energized that football team last night. I mean, you even if you wasn't at the game, if you were watching the game on TV, you could tell how electrifying that Seattle Seahawks crowd was. They were pumped up for Russell Wilson's return. And I believe the Seattle Seahawks players fed off of the fans' energy. And you could tell the entire game. So, again, I think when you look at the Seattle Seahawks overall as a team, they don't have many expectations this year. But if they could find a way to upset Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos on opening night, that would be a successful season for the Seattle Seahawks. So they brought the energy. They brought the intensity. And I thought the Broncos were the team that had to play catch-up throughout the game. I thought Seattle played with a little more intensity. They, intensity they played with a little more energy. And as the game went along, you could see that the Broncos were clearly the better team. But by that time, you get into the fourth quarter, it's a close ball game. It's 17-13, you know, in the fourth quarter. So I thought that the Seattle Seahawks brought the energy for sure in the game. Now, when I look at the Denver Broncos last night, new regime in Denver, new head coach that they're happy, new quarterback, Russell Wilson, who they just signed to a $245 million extension. And we all know that Russell Wilson is an upgrade over previous quarterbacks that the Denver Broncos have had over the last eight, nine years. Since Peyton Manning, the Denver Broncos haven't had a franchise quarterback. They've had Brock Osweiler, Teddy Bridgewater. They have not had a caliber of a quarterback like a Russell Wilson since Peyton Manning. So when you bring in a quarterback like a Russell Wilson, you immediately have high expectations. So when you talk about all the rest of the teams in the AFC this year, the Raiders, the Chiefs, the Chargers, Bengals, Ravens, the Broncos are included in that conversation because they got Russell Wilson. And so as I watched the game last night unfold at the end, I was confused about what the hell I was watching because Nathaniel Hackett, the head coach of the Denver Broncos, who I got a lot of respect for, he was previously in Green Bay, and he helped Aaron Rodgers win NFL MVP as a coordinator. Now, Aaron Rodgers doesn't need much help because he's already talented enough to win an MVP by himself. But Nathaniel Hackett played a major, major part in the success that the Packers offense has had the last few years. So he got the head coaching job in Denver. Last night, it's 17-16. Broncos are stopped on like the 45-yard line, I believe. It's like the 45-yard line. And so it's like a minute and 11 left in the game. So if you were watching the game live and you were watching Peyton Manning and Eli Manning, they had on Shannon Sharp as a guest. And so if you were watching the game and you were watching Peyton Manning 
and Eli Manning because they got Peyton Manning, Eli Manning on ESPN too, and they got Joe Buck and Troy Aikman on ESPN. You could you would could see that Peyton Manning in the immediate aftermath of Javante Williams getting tackled, you could see Peyton Manning saying, "Okay, take a timeout here. Let's take a timeout." And time just kept ticking, and so. Here are were the options that the Denver Broncos had when Williams got tackled. You got three timeouts. A, you could have went on fourth down, fourth and five, and if you convert, it's a great chance that you win the game. Here, here is the Broncos' win probability if they convert on fourth and five. This is per NFL next-gen stats. If the Broncos convert on fourth and five, it's a 42% chance that they win the game. Now, it's a 66% chance of them at least being able to kick a field goal had they converted on the fourth and five. But your chances of making a 64-yard field goal were 14%. So you could have went for it on fourth down, and that's the reason why you brought in Russell Wilson. Make no mistake about it. Why would I trade for Russell Wilson, one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, and I recently gave Russell Wilson a $245 million extension, and I don't put the football in his hands in that moment? I don't understand that you happened in that moment. He looked lost, he seemed confused, and he was very indecisive. And as a head coach, in that moment, being in your first year, you got to be decisive in moments like that. It's fourth and five. Even if you don't convert on fourth and five, you still got three timeouts. But because they wasted 30, 40 seconds, he decides to kick a 64-yard field goal. And that significantly decreases your chances of winning the game. Here's another possibility. You could have punted, used all your three timeouts, and you would have gotten great field position back if they would have, like, rushed the special teams unit out on the field, punted. Let's just say they, that the Seattle Seahawks, they get the punt, and it's and they, and they fair catch at about a minute and three seconds. You run three plays, you probably would have gotten the ball back with 40 seconds left after you called three timeouts, 40 seconds left. But again, if you pin the Seahawks deep, when they punt it back to you, you're going to get great field position back. And so uh, the, all you need really is one or two big plays with 40 seconds left with Russell Wilson as your quarterback. All you need is one or two big plays to get in a you know, possible field goal range that is an easier field goal for McManus. But instead, Nathaniel Hackett decides to take the worst option and he decides to call timeout. I can't. I can't remember exactly how much time was left when he called a timeout, but I do know the play clock. Play clock was running down. It was. It was almost a delay of game. He decides to. If you're watching, if you're watching on the, the, the on TV on live on TV, you see the ESPN cameras. They cut to Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, and you you see Russell Wilson in the offense trotting off the field. And you see McManus in the Broncos special teams unit trying on the field. And I'm wondering what the hell was going on. You're going to attempt a 64-yard field goal? And oh, by the way, if McManus would have made the field goal, it would have been 
the second longest field goal in NFL history. And that's also not Justin Tucker. That ain't Tucker. That's McManus. So, again, Nathaniel Hackett, he got to answer some questions today. He got to answer some questions today. And if I'm John Elway, I'm bringing Nathaniel Hackett into my office today, and we got to have a conversation. We got to have a conversation because I heard Russell Wilson say all the right things after the game. He said it was the right decision. We know Russ is a team first guy. We know he's going to say the right things. But if I'm Russell Wilson, I'm feeling some type of way because I'm feeling like you don't trust me to get five yards, five yards, because it's, it's a great possibility. If the Broncos convert on fourth down, they're going to win the game. Great possibility. 513-203-8655. 513-203-8655. Again, I like Nathaniel Hackett. But that was, a, that was a major, major blunder last night in his coaching debut. And I know if you out there in Denver today, Denver Broncos fans, they're calling onto these sports talk radio shows. And Nathaniel Hackett is the main topic that they are discussing today. Because you can't make those bad decisions as a head coach. You just can't. You can't. I know John Elway is, was fuming last night as he watched this unfold. I know he was fuming. And I go as far as to say, in his coaching debut, this decision by Nathaniel Hackett was so bad, he could easily already find himself on the hot seat as the season goes along. Because now you're it, it's already a red flag to Broncos fans thinking when we get back into these type of situations, and we all know in the NFL, games – are more lost than they are won by head coaches. Head, like coaching is so important. Go ask Mike McCarthy and the Dallas Cowboys how important clock management and being disciplined, how important that is as a football team. The Dallas Cowboys last year were the most penalized team in the NFL. And they also had a lot of clock management issues. And so now, if you're a Broncos fan, you're wondering about your head coach how he's going to make the if he's going to be able to make the right decisions moving forward as the season goes along. So everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at Wise Guys underscore H also on Facebook Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram with these guys. No sports. Call to the show 513-203-8655. When you look at the game last night though, I thought last night in the game for the Denver Broncos, I thought Jerry Judy had an outstanding game. And I believe that Jerry Judy is one of those receivers in the NFL that is going to have a major, major, major impact on his team being able to win football games this year. And I thought last night in his first game with Russell Wilson, you could see the connection that Russell Wilson had with Jerry Judy. That touchdown pass that Russ threw in the first half, that ball was underthrown. And Jerry Judy made a play on that ball. That was an underthrown football by Russell Wilson. Jerry Judy made a play. But I think it's going to be important for this Denver Broncos team as the season goes along. They're going to have to establish the running game with Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. You don't want Russ having to drop back to pass 45, 50 times per game. We know Russell Wilson can cook. You got you to gotta let Russ cook. 
but you also have to be able to establish the running game so you can open up the passing game for Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton in the passing game, the receivers. Cortland Sutton is a nice receiver in this Broncos offense. He's not great, but he's nice. And Jerry Judy, obviously, is your number one receiver right now. So I want to see them establish the run game more as the season goes along. Last night they had 19 rush attempts between Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams. And it's crazy because who would have thought that after week one, the Seattle Seahawks would be leading the NFC West at 1-0? Ain't that crazy? Rams lost over the weekend. Cardinals got blew off the field by the Kansas City Chiefs. And the Bears beat the Niners. So right now, sitting alone in first place in the NFC West is the Seattle Seahawks. Man, I love football. Call to the show, 513-203-8655, 513-203-8655. Question of the day, which team had the most disappointing performance of week one? Was it the Packers, 49ers, Bengals, or Titans? Let's transition to an NFC North battle in Minnesota as the Minnesota Vikings beat the Green Bay Packers 23-7. to the 16-point margin of victory was tied for the largest versus the Packers over the last 20 seasons. For the Packers, Aaron Rodgers, he struggled. He went 22 of 34, 195 passing yards, one interception. Kirk Cousins went 23 of 32. He threw for 277 passing yards, two touchdowns. Justin Jefferson had a field day. Everyone's talking about Aaron Rodgers, and is he to blame for the Packers' Poor offensive performance. Let me be very, very clear and let everyone know that while this game was going on, you had the Chargers and Raiders game going on at the same time. And so over the last three years, as a Packers fan, I've gotten a chance to witness the best quarterback and wide receiver connection in the NFL with Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams from on my phone watching the Packers game and Vikings game. And I'm also looking at the Chargers and Raiders game as well. I got my NFL red zone going on, of course. Now, of course, I'm going to be watching the Packers game majority of the time. And I'm, I'm also checking out the other games as well with my NFL red zone package. And I'm looking at Devontae Adams, right? And this is Devontae Adams, his numbers Sunday. Devontae Adams had 10 receptions, 141 receiving yards, one touchdown. The Packers receivers had 12 receptions, 120 receiving yards, no touchdowns. Aaron Rodgers went 11 of 15, 95 passing yards, one interception when targeting Packer receivers. So, of course, as a Packers fan, I'm sitting there thinking, man, what the hell was going on? And I got to blame Aaron Rodgers. Because everyone's talking about that Devontae Adams went to Las Vegas to play with Derek Carr. And I've been on record saying that I think Devontae Adams made the right decision going to Las Vegas to play with his boy in Derek Carr. Because Derek Carr and Devontae Adams, they were friends at Fresno State. They put up records at Fresno State. So they were teammates, and they were also friends off the field. So Devontae Adams has a great relationship with Derek Carr. But the reason why Devontae Adams 
is not currently in Green Bay, it's not because the Packers couldn't pay Devontae Adams, because it was reported that the Packers could pay Devontae Adams the same money that he got from the Las Vegas Raiders. The reason why Devontae Adams is not in Green Bay is because of Aaron Rodgers being so indecisive from year to year on whether or not he actually wants to play football season to season. That's the reason why Devontae Adams right now is in Las Vegas. So I blame Aaron Rodgers for Devontae Adams being out of Green Bay. And so, Aaron, you're going to have to make this work with these young receivers that you now have to deal with. you got to make it work because when Devontae Adams was in Green Bay, you could always count on Devontae being able to be a reliable target for Aaron Rodgers. But because Aaron Rodgers is so indecisive and he doesn't know what he wants to do from year to year, Devontae is like, I might as well go and play with my boy because I know I'm going to have 10 years with Derek Carr compared to three years with Aaron Rodgers. So I never blame Devontae Adams for wanting out of Green Bay. And so I'm watching the game and first play of the game, first play from scrimmage, for the Green Bay Packers, Christian Watson beats Patrick Peterson up the sideline on a go route. Beats him right up the sideline. Aaron Rodgers puts the ball right where Christian Watson needed it, and he would have scored a touchdown. Drops the pass, and guess what? Aaron Rodgers doesn't target Christian Watson again until the fourth quarter. So Aaron Rodgers honestly ghosted Christian Watson. Once Christian Watson dropped that first pass on the first play of scrimmage for the Packers, Aaron Rodgers decided I'm not throwing him the ball again for a while. So Christian Watson didn't get another target until the fourth quarter. Not only that, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, they had some miscommunication issues with Aaron Rodgers. And that's the reason why you saw A.J. Dillon lead the Packers in total reception. A.J. Dillon had five receptions. Romeo Dobbs had four. But, again, I think Aaron Rodgers is going to have to figure this out. He's a, a part of the reason why Devontae Adams is in Las Vegas. Him being indecisive, being committed to the Packers for five or six more seasons is the reason why Devontae wanted to leave. I can't blame Devontae. And so now Aaron Rodgers, he's getting upset with his young receivers. You can, you can tell on the sideline that he's frustrated, he's upset, because he's used to a certain standard at the receiver position in Green Bay. He's used to having reliable guys that he can throw the ball to. And right now, he just doesn't have that. Outside of Robert Tunyon and Randall Cobb and an injured Alan Lazard, he doesn't have anyone he can trust right now. That's the main reason why the Green Bay Packers struggle overall. As the season goes along, I think these young receivers in Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs, they will get better, but it's going to take some time. And you really honestly can't be mad at Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs. Your first game of your NFL career, it's an NFC North battle. Kirk Cousins versus Aaron Rodgers. It's the Vikings. It's the Packers in that stadium, NFC North, because we all know Regular season speed is different than preseason speed. Just like 
NFL playoff speed is different than NFL regular season speed. You got your preseason speed, regular season speed, and playoff speed. So this was Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs' first game of their careers playing in hostile environment in Minnesota. Romeo Dobbs played at Nevada. Christian Watson played at North Dakota State. They didn't play at Ohio State or Alabama or Georgia. They didn't play at no big-time school. Nevada and North Dakota State, they never played in a game of this magnitude. So, of course, the bright lights might have been a little bit too much for Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs. But Aaron Rodgers made this bed, so Aaron Rodgers has to lay in this bed. So Aaron Rodgers, I don't want to hear no excuses. You're going to have to make it work with these young receivers. You're going to have to make it work. Now, as bad as the offense played for the Packers over the weekend, I was more disappointed in the Packers' defense because I don't know what the hell defensive coordinator Joe Barry was thinking allowing Justin Jefferson to go off for over 180 receiving yards, two touchdowns, I don't understand why he did not have all-pro Jair Alexander follow Justin Jefferson all over the field. This was Jair Alexander after the game. He said, quote, why I wasn't on him, that's not my call. Anybody who watches me play, you know that's what I want. That was Jair Alexander in the immediate aftermath when Jair went with Justin Jefferson going off for almost 200 receiving yards on the Packers defense, you got an elite cornerback in Jair Alexander. I don't want to hear about where well, they kept moving Jefferson in motion and we didn't want to confuse other defensive players. No, you got an elite quarterback on your team, elite cornerback. You got to have him on the opposing team's best player. Justin Jefferson is the best player on the Minnesota Vikings. Why Jair Alexander was not matched up against Justin Jefferson is something I cannot understand. Why that was not the matchup that Joe Barry and the Green Bay Packers defense didn't want is something I, I just can't wrap my mind around. I don't understand what they were thinking. I don't. I don't understand what they were thinking at all. Like, you see Justin Jefferson, he's in a zone, he's getting open, and there's no Packer defender within five yards of Justin Jefferson. No Packer defender. On one play, I saw the Packers line up Preston Smith across from Justin Jefferson. And I'm like, what do you expect to happen here? Poor Preston Smith, because he was out there on an island on Justin Jefferson, had no chance in hell of being able to stop Justin Jefferson. So I don't know what defensive coordinator Joe Barry was thinking. They made a mistake. You got to have your best cornerback on the opposing team's best receiver when he's going off like that. But I thought the Packers' defense was disappointing in week one. We all know it's going to take Aaron Rodgers and the young receivers some time to develop chemistry in the early part of the season. So you expect the Packers' defense to step up and be able to carry this Packers team in the early part of the season. And on Sunday afternoon, in Minnesota, that just was not the case. That wasn't the case. I saw Vikings receivers running open all throughout the afternoon. 
and they had no answers for Justin Jefferson. Kirk Cousins never had to sweat on Sunday. He never had to sweat because the Packers' defense didn't apply much pressure, and they didn't have any resistance against the Vikings' passing offense. None whatsoever. None. So I was disappointed in the Packers' defense, even more so than the offense. I really, really was. You look at the Minnesota Vikings, Dalvin Cook, he had 20 carries, 90 rushing yards. Adam Thielen actually had a quiet day, three receptions, 36 receiving yards. It was mainly just Justin Jefferson, mainly just Justin Jefferson. So, again, I, I know the Packers offense is going to take some time to get into a rhythm, but I was more disappointed in the defense than even the offense. Will the Packers bounce back in week two, Sunday night football? I'll be there. I'll be at the game. Sunday in Green Bay. So I expect the Packers to have a bounce back game at home at Lambeau in week two. Even though the Bears did beat the 49ers and they're one and one in the season, Aaron Rodgers doesn't have back-to-back bad games. So I expect the Packers to take care of business in week two at home against the Bears. Plus, I'll be in the house at the game. They damn sure better win on Sunday while I'm there. But we're gonna have some issues. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys. Mr. with these guys, no sports. Vikings got the Eagles Monday Night Football next week. So that's going to be a big-time matchup in Philly. Eagles fresh off a win over the Detroit Lions 38-35. So it's going to be a nice matchup. Kirk Cousins versus Jalen Hurts in the city of brotherly love next Monday. Call to the show, 513-203-8655. 513-203-8655. Let's transition to the AFC West battle as the LA Chargers beat the Las Vegas Raiders 24 to 19 in the game. Derek Carr, he had a subpar game. He went 22 of 37, 295 passing yards, two touchdowns, three interceptions. Devontae Adams went 10 receptions, 141 receiving yards, one touchdown. For the Chargers, Justin Herbert, he got out to a, off to a great start this season. 26 of 34, 279 passing yards, three touchdowns. I was disappointed in Derek Carr because you bring in a Devontae Adams. You pair Devontae Adams up with the Hunter Renfro, who's the best slot receiver that we have in the NFL. You also pair him up with the elite tight end in Darren Waller. Kelsey, Kittle, and Waller. Those are the three best tight ends that we have in the NFL. And as I watched this game, Derek Carr, he targeted Devontae Adams over 15 times in this game. Over 15 times. You got weapons in Darren Wilder, in Hunter Renfro, in Josh Jacobs. Why are you targeting Devontae Adams over 15 times in a game when you got so many weapons to distribute the football to? I thought Derek Carr and the Las Vegas Raiders' offense was predictable because they kept trying to feed Devontae Adams the football. And I love Devontae Adams. We know Devontae Adams is elite. He got to get his touches. But you have other weapons on this Raiders' offense who can make plays who you can distribute the football to. So I thought their offense was predictable, and I thought that was the reason why the L.A. Chargers were able to on what the Raiders were doing offensively. Defensively for the Chargers, they just brought in 
Mac Daddy, Khalil Mack. Khalil Mack was brought in via trade earlier in the offseason for the Chargers. Khalil Mack had five tackles, three sacks. So Khalil Mack made an immediate impact. Derwin James, one of the best safeties that we have in the NFL, he had six tackles, one sack on the game. The Raiders gave up five sacks in this game. That's also going to be key. No matter how great your weapons are, if you can't protect Derek Carr, the Raiders will not make the playoffs. And all this talk about the Raiders having an improved roster and an improved team overall, it won't matter if Derek Carr continues to get sacked five times per game. It won't matter. Got to protect Derek Carr. So those are my two main issues that I had with the Raiders. Derek Carr was predictable. Throwing the ball to Devontae Adams, feeding him the football, and the offensive line was awful for the Raiders. They were awful. But let's give credit to that Chargers defense because they showed up and they were outstanding in this game, holding the Raiders offense, that's a high-powered offense, to only 19 points. Well, that, that's impressive. Defensive coordinator Ronaldo Hill. Give him some credit. Got to give him a lot of credit. So, again, like I said, I had some issues with Derek Carr and I had some issues with that, uh, that, that, them in that offensive line. Now, offensively for the Chargers, I thought the Chargers were outstanding in this game. I thought Justin Herbert was efficient. You look at his numbers for the game, Herbert goes 26 of 34, 279 pass yards, three touchdowns. And unlike Derek Carr, Herbert did distribute the football around. Keenan Allen had four receptions, 66 yards before he left the game with an injury. Gerald Everett, the tight end, he had three receptions, 54 receiving yards. DeAndre Carter, he had three receptions, 64 receiving yards, one touchdown. So I thought Herbert did a great job at distributing the football around to the Chargers' weapons. And they got a lot of weapons. You got Mike Williams, you got Keenan Allen, you got DeAndre Carter. So I like the way Herbert played in his opener. And I think the Chargers offense is going to be an elite offense all, all season long. I already said that Herbert is going to win NFL MVP. He was my pick to win NFL MVP this year. And I think he got off to a great start. He got off to a great start. But it's going to be a, 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 a nice test for the Chargers because Thursday night, they got the Kansas City Chiefs in Kansas City. So I want to see how good the Chargers really are this year when they play the Chiefs Thursday night in an early matchup in the AFC West. We just saw the Chiefs go crazy offensively against the Arizona Cardinals. Now, I don't think the Arizona Cardinals are going to be that good this year. But if the Chargers are a playoff team and they are a legit Super Bowl contender in the AFC, we're going to find out what type of team they are this year early in week two in that Thursday night matchup against the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. I'm excited for it. I'll be talking about that game on Thursday night's show. Justin Herbert versus Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. Thursday night football. It's going to be a great game. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram with these guys. No sports now. The Raiders, they're home against the Arizona Cardinals in week two. Again, Arizona got blew out in week one. 
I don't think the Arizona Cardinals are going to be a playoff team this year. I think they're going to struggle. So I think that's a game where the Raiders can get back on track and, you know, you know, win their first game of the season and be one and one. In the AFC, you can't lose three, four games in a row and expect to be a playoff team. 0 and 2, 1 and 4, 2 and 3, 2 and 6. In the AFC this year, it's so much competition that you can't afford to lose multiple games in a row. You can't afford that in the AFC this year. The margin for error is slim in the AFC with so many good teams. AFC West alone, Raiders, Chargers, Broncos, Chiefs, AFC North, Bengals, Ravens, Browns got a win over the weekend over the Panthers and Baker Mayfield in the AFC you know, South, even though all those teams lost over the weekend, you still got the Colts with Matt Ryan. The Titans still got Derrick Henry. So, you know, it's going to be tough in the AFC. You, you, you can't lose consecutive games in a row. In, in, in the AFC East, you, get, you got the Miami Dolphins. You got the, the, the Buffalo Bills. Miami was impressive in their win over the, the Patriots over the weekend. But so that's our, those teams' upcoming schedule. Let's transition to the NFC North, I'm sorry, the AFC North, the Steelers at Bengals, the Pittsburgh Steelers, they beat the Cincinnati Bengals 23-20 to in an upset at Paycar Stadium. For the Steelers, Mitchell Trubisky went 21 of 38, 194 passing yards, one touchdown. For the Bengals, Joe Burrow, he had an awful game. He went 33 of 53, 338 passing yards, two touchdowns. Four interceptions, two fumbles. He lost one of those fumbles. Jamar Chase, 10 receptions, 129 receiving yards, one touchdown. In this game, one of the keys was the Steelers lost T.J. Watt, but T.J. Watt recently announced that he will not be out for the season. So he's going to be back in about six weeks, I believe. So they're going to get back T.J. Watt, and I thought T.J. Watt was the best player on the field Sunday at Paycar Stadium. That's how dominant T.J. Watt was. He was like almost, it almost seemed as if he was in the Bengals huddle. He knew exactly what was coming, play in and play out, and he made an immediate impact in this game. On the first possession of the game for the Bengals, Mika Fitzpatrick intercepts a pass from Joe Burrow and takes it to the house. I thought the Pittsburgh Steelers set the tone early, in this game, and I thought their defense carried them as we got late into the third and fourth quarters of this game. I thought the defense set the tone in the early part of the game, and by the time the Cincinnati Bengals offense finally got into a rhythm, the Steelers had already had a lead, and they controlled most of this game. Now, here's the part that's interesting, looking at this game. The Pittsburgh Steelers they won the turnover battle in this game because the, the, the Bengals, they fumbled the ball twice, lost one of those fumbles, and Burrow threw three interceptions or four interceptions, four interceptions. And late in the fourth quarter, the Bengals had a chance to win the game if they could have successfully kicked a PAT. That tells me that the Cincinnati Bengals are significantly more talented 
as a football team from top to bottom than the Pittsburgh Steelers currently are. You have five turnovers, and the Bengals had an opportunity to win the game if they could have kicked a PAT. That tells me that the Pittsburgh Steelers this season will not be a playoff team. I already went on record saying the Steelers this year will not be a playoff team, and they're going to finish fourth in the AFC North. They're going to finish fourth. I give them credit for being able to win Sunday, but the Steelers are not a playoff team. They're not a playoff team. Mitch Trubisky didn't even throw for 200 yards in this game. He didn't even throw for 200 yards. The Pittsburgh Steelers had chances to put the Bengals away, and they could not do it. And I actually like the Pittsburgh Steelers receivers. You got Chase Claypool. You got Deontay Johnson. You got Pat Firemuth. And then at running back, you got Najee Harris, one of the best young running backs that we have in the NFL. But they don't have a good quality quarterback. I don't even say great because Kirk Cousins isn't great. Ryan Tannehill isn't great. Kyler Murray isn't quite great. Dak Prescott isn't great, but they got Mitchell Trubisky as their quarterback. And Mitchell Trubisky, at his best, is a game manager. They had countless opportunities to put the Bengals away, and they could not do it. And I'm looking up at the scoreboard at the end of the game, and I'm like, how in the hell are the Bengals in this game? If the Bengals were playing any other team in the NFL that was actually elite, the Bengals would have lost this game by three touchdowns. They'd have lost this game by three touchdowns if they were playing another elite team in the NFL. So this game told me more than anything else that the Pittsburgh Steelers are not an elite team and they're not a playoff team in the AFC this year. So that's one of my biggest takeaways from the game. I thought Joe Burrow was sloppy in this game. That's how he played, played very sloppy, and I thought that he was rusty. I mean, he didn't play in preseason. It took some time for him to get into a rhythm. They also lost T. Higgins to a concussion in this game, and I thought that touchdown pass that Burrow threw in the end zone that was called incomplete, it was a potential touchdown pass that was incomplete that he threw, T. Higgins would have caught that late in the fourth quarter. Mike Thomas, that's the young receiver. I thought he had a touchdown catch late in that game, but that, if, if T. Higgins is in the game, he catches that that touchdown pass from Joe Burrow. And then also, I didn't understand, on the last possession, when Jamar Chase scored his touchdown, I didn't understand what defensively, because the DB was five yards off of Jamar Chase, and you know all Jamar Chase has to do is is, is do an out route, and Burrow's going to deliver him the ball, touchdown, game over. You got you to gotta be in press coverage in that moment. The, the play when Jamar Chase scored, go and look at it. I know Steelers fans was confused like I was, like, why are you playing five yards off of Jamar Chase? You got to play press coverage in that moment. You can't play five yards off of Jamar Chase. But I also thought Jamar Chase previously scored on two plays before that. I thought the, I thought the officiating crew got the, the, the play wrong when they called him short of the goal lines. His foot was on the goal line. I thought the ball had crossed the plane, but they said he didn't. But I thought the Bengals... You know, they still had countless opportunities to win this game. And honestly, the Steelers deserve to win this game. They deserve to win this game. And they won the battle, but the Bengals are going to win the war because the Bengals are a better football team than the Steelers are. 
They're just they're just better. As you look at the head coaches, Mike Tomlin is a better coach than Zach Taylor. And that's the only advantage I could possibly give the Steelers. I like the Steelers defense. I like Mika Fitzpatrick. I like TJ Watt once he comes back. But without TJ Watt, I think the Steelers are going to struggle the next few weeks. I think they're going to struggle. So I think Steelers fans, I don't think they should be optimistic about their team, even after this week one win over the Bengals. When it comes to Joe Burrow, I think Joe Burrow will be fine. I think Joe Burrow was just rusty. He just played sloppy in his first game action of the season. You can tell that he has to get up to regular season speed. You, you can practice all day long at 707 and, and, and play and, and play against guys with shorts and helmets on, but it's different when you've got the pads on and it's live game action. So I think Joe Burrow will be just fine. He's still he's still gonna have a tremendous season. Bengals offense is still elite with Joe Mixon in the backfield, with P. Ryan as well. Still got Jamar Chase. You're going to get back T. Higgins. You got Tyler Boyd. Bengals will be fine. They got the Cowboys in week two, so they'll be fine. Cowboys were awful, and I'll get to them here in a bit, but they were awful in their, in their week one loss to the Buccaneers. Steelers going to be home against the Patriots in week two. I don't believe in the Patriots either. I don't think they're a playoff team, but Mac Jones also is dealing with an injury right now. Everybody going to follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Make sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at these guys. No sports. Let's transition to the question of the day. Which team had the most disappointing performance of week one? Packers, 49ers, Bengals, or Titans? Call into the show. Give me your opinion on the question of the day. 513-203-8655. I gotta say, I gotta admit, I believe the team that had the most disappointing performance was the Tennessee Titans. Because the Packers. They got young receivers. They're trying to develop chemistry with Aaron Rodgers going up against an NFC North opponent in the Minnesota Vikings that have an elite offense with Adam Thielen, with Justin Jefferson, with Dalvin Cook. Tough matchup for the Packers in week one. Tough matchup for them. I know I was on Facebook talking a lot of trash to my cousin who's a diehard Vikings fan. I had to remind him that the Vikings have never won a Super Bowl in their franchise history. But Vikings are a good team with a nice offense led by Kirk Cousins. That's a tough matchup for the Packers. 49ers, new starter at quarterback in Trey Lance. He's young. He's unproven. We don't know what we're going to get from Trey Lance. Going up against Justin Fields in Chicago. I like Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields is a franchise quarterback. You in his house at Soldier Field. And they were playing in terrible conditions in Chicago on Sunday. So I understand why the 49ers lost that game. Also, George Kittle didn't play. So your best player on offense didn't play in the game. Well, you could say Debo Samuel also on that offense. So him and him and Kittle are two of the best players that the 49ers have on their offense. But no Kittle in that game. Terrible weather conditions. Trey Lance in his first start. I, I, I could see why how the 49ers could lose that game. Bengals, again going up against another opponent in their division in the AFC North, a team that knows them very well, a team that's well-coached in the Pittsburgh Steelers with Mike Tomlin. We know the Pittsburgh Steelers offensively are not going to knock their socks off with Mitchell Trubisky, but defensively, they got a solid defense with Mecca Fitzpatrick and TJ Watt who can make plays. So I think the Titans were the most disappointing team in week one. 
because the Titans, they have expectations to make the playoffs this year. They got expectations to be a, to be a playoff team in the AFC South and in the AFC. And in the game against the Giants, the Titans, they had a 13-0 lead at halftime. 13-0 lead at halftime. You got Derrick Henry, the best running back in the NFL. You got an average quarterback in Ryan Tannehill. And on some days, you can make an argument for Ryan Tannehill to be a good quarterback, like a Dak Prescott, like a Kirk Cousins. And you give up a 13-point lead to Daniel Jones? Think about this. In the second half, the New York Giants with Daniel Jones at quarterback, the Giants outscored the Titans 21-7. 21-7, the Giants outscored the Titans. So I, I believe that the Titans had the most disappointing performance in week one. You got a 13-point lead at the half over the Giants. You've got to close that deal. This is this is a game that I believe Mike Vrabel and the Titans could look back on and look at as a game that could be a game that made them miss the playoffs. You got to win these type of games going up against the New York Giants. The Giants were picked to be one of the worst teams in the NFL this year. I don't believe in Daniel Jones. I think he's awful. And you couldn't put Daniel Jones away? Disappointing performance from the Titans. AFC going to be competitive. All those teams in the AFC that's going to be fighting for a playoff spot and the Titans give up a 13-point lead at the half and lose the game 21-20? Very disappointing performance from the Tennessee Titans. So I think they were the most disappointing team of week one. Call to the show, 513-203-8655. 513-203-8655. Let's transition to Dallas. As Dak Prescott, he injured his thumb in the loss to Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He reportedly will be out for six to eight weeks. So let me be very, very clear about where I stand with the Dallas Cowboys right now. Before Dak Prescott injured his thumb, the Dallas Cowboys were already having a terrible game offensively. I'm watching the game, and I'm literally falling asleep. Mind you, you know, when you, when the NFL season starts, the first few weeks of the NFL season, your, your, your body has to get used to being able to watch football all day. I mean, you, you, you up at 12, 1 o'clock, watching the 1 o'clock games. You watch the 4 o'clock games. By 8, 9 o'clock, you're tired because you've been watching football all day. And your body got to get used to watching football all day and by 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, you might get a little tired. I literally, I'm watching the Bucks cowboys game, and I'm falling asleep as the game goes along. I'm falling asleep because the game was that boring. It was that boring of a game. And I'm looking at the Cowboys' offense, and I'm looking at them struggle without Amari Cooper. Remember, they traded Amari Cooper earlier this offseason to the Cleveland Browns. They lost James Washington in training camp to a foot fracture. Michael Gallup is still rehabbing from season-ending surgery last year. And CeeDee Lamb is not proving that he could be a number one receiver on your team. For the game, CeeDee Lamb had two receptions, 29 receiving yards. 
And so before Dak Prescott got injured, the Dallas Cowboys didn't even have a touchdown on the board. Didn't even have one touchdown. And their offensive line, they already dealing with a lot of injuries on their offensive line. That Tampa Bay Buccaneers front, they got to Tom to, to Dak Prescott four times. So the Cowboys offensive line gave up four sacks to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So they're already out, you know, without Tyron Smith. They did sign Peters, the lineman that previously played in Philly, but he's just now learning that Cowboys offense. So I was already thinking before Dak Prescott's injury, the Cowboys are in trouble. And I already went on record and I said, the Cowboys are not a playoff team in the NFC. Their schedule, honestly, is not that bad because they play the NFC North this year. So they'll, they'll, they could beat the Lions and Bears without Dak Prescott. But the Eagles, Rams, and Bengals, those games are all losses for the Cowboys. And they might even lose to the Lions. Because I saw the other day, the game against the Philadelphia Eagles, Eagles were dominating that game against the Detroit Lions. I look up in the fourth quarter, that game was a close game. Eagles ended up winning the game 38-35, but you could see that the Detroit Lions are a much improved football team this year. Yes, I'm saying the Detroit Lions are a much improved football team this year. I was wrong, Lions fans. I know I say the Lions are going to be the worst team in the NFC North. I still think that's a possibility, but they're going to compete in games. Jared Goff, he's going to turn the ball over. He's going to have two or three interceptions per game. But guess what? Jared Goff also can throw three touchdown passes with three interceptions. So I, that's a game the Cowboys could lose to the to the Detroit Lions in week seven at home. And then they got a bye in week nine, week 10. They're at Green Bay against the Packers. That's a game that I believe that Prescott is going to target to return back to. But then week 11, they got the Vikings in Minnesota. They'll lose that game. If they don't got Dak Prescott, they're going to lose week 10 and week 11 against the Packers and Vikings. Even with Dak Prescott, I wouldn't favor the Cowboys in those two games. But if you got Dak Prescott, you got a puncher's chance. But again, I look I, even before Dak Prescott's injury, the offense was awful. They were awful. Their defense, the only reliable players that I can rely on is Michael Parsons and, and Trayvon Diggs. I thought Michael Parsons, he had a great game, and I think he's one of the best young defensive players that we have in the NFL. He had four tackles, two sacks, so he had a pretty good game. Van Der Esch, I don't believe, believe in him anymore. He dealt with a lot of injuries in his past, but he had six tackles. Diggs had three tackles. I looked at the game, and Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense, they didn't light it up offensively. In the game, the Bucs, they, they had for total yards, 347 total yards. They had 152 rush yards. So I thought Leonard Fournette was great for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Leonard Fournette, he had 21 carries for 127 rushing yards. So I thought he was great in the game for that Buccaneers offense. And so I think when you are a team that can lean on your running game, it could help your passing game as the season goes along. If you can rely on a running game in the early part of the season while your receivers and quarterback develop chemistry, I think that could be a recipe for success for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for this season, in, in the early part of the season. They got the Saints in week two. That's going to be a big-time matchup in the NFC South. Saints, they always play the Bucs tough. 
they always play them tough. For whatever reason, when the Bucks go up against the Saints, they struggle. They did beat the Saints on their playoff run when Drew Brees was still in New Orleans. But the Saints, they play, they play the Buccaneers tough. Saints got a 27-26 victory over the Atlanta Falcons. Michael Thomas caught a touchdown pass in that game. So maybe Michael Thomas is going to get back to being an elite receiver. But also in the game with the Bucks and Cowboys, we saw some flashes of Julio Jones. Julio Jones had three receptions for 69 receiving yards. Mike Evans, five receptions, 71 receiving yards, one touchdown. So, again, I think that the Buccaneers' offense will be just fine. They did lose Chris Godwin. Chris Godwin is injured again. With an, he's dealing with an injury. It's a hamstring for Chris Godwin. So that's a, that, that's a major concern for the Buccaneers because a hamstring injury it could 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 plague you all season long. It could really hurt Chris Godwin's ability to get back at being 100%. It could flare up on you at any given moment. So, you know, losing Chris Godwin will hurt the, the Buccaneers. I already said before the season that their offensive line is an, is an offensive line that – it, that that is it's that's coming together. They got they got they dealing with a lot of injuries right now on the offensive line. Right now they don't currently have their center Jensen, so he's on IR right now. So we'll see what happens with the Buccaneers moving forward. We know the Buccaneers are a playoff team. They're gonna they're gonna win the NFC South, but uh, you know Cowboys season is over before it even started. Over before it even started. So it's it's gonna be a long season for the Dallas Cowboys. It's, it's gonna be a long season for the Dallas Cowboys. And it wouldn't surprise me if Mike McCarthy finds himself without a job at the end of the season. It's unfortunate, though, because we can't really judge Mike McCarthy this, you know, this year if Dak Prescott is, is going to be injured. And, and, and it's crazy because I, I look at Dak Prescott right now. This thumb injury is unfortunate because in two out of the last three seasons, Dak Prescott is going to miss significant time. So if you're if you Jerry Jones, Stephen Jones, you gotta be you gotta be wondering about Dak Prescott's ability to stay healthy. Durability is going to be an issue for Dak Prescott. It's been an issue for the last three seasons. It's unfortunate. We hate injuries. We don't wish injuries on anyone. And Dak Prescott is a good quarterback who's a good dude. I really, really like Dak Prescott. I think you can win a Super Bowl with Dak. I really, really do. But durability. Has been an issue over the last three seasons with that. So you got to get a quality backup for the Dallas Cowboys. Cooper Rush is not the answer. He's not the answer as a quality backup. So if I'm if I'm the Dallas Cowboys, I would seriously get on the phone, make a call to the Baltimore Ravens, and try to get my hands on Tyler Huntley. Huntley was the quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens last year when Lamar Jackson missed the last few games of the season last year. Huntley took over for Lamar Jackson, and Huntley looked good. He looked good. He almost beat Aaron Rodgers last year when the Packers were in Baltimore. Remember, they had a chance to, to, to win the game on a go-ahead two-point attempt. So Huntley is, is, is a great option right now that the Cowboys should be looking at to replace Dak Prescott during this time that he's out with an injury. I'm not calling the 49ers for Jimmy G. Huntley is better than Jimmy G. You know, y'all are like, what? Yes, I don't believe in Jimmy Garoppolo. The San Francisco 49ers, they didn't win because of Jimmy Garoppolo. They won in spite of 
Jimmy Garoppolo. I think Jimmy Garoppolo at this point in his career is a backup at best. I believe Huntley is a quarterback. Dare I say that you can build your team around. I'm not saying he's the long-term answer in Dallas. Dak Prescott, you know, given the fact that you paid him all that money, he's your franchise quarterback. But if you want to save the season for your team and for Cowboys fans, you get on the phone with the Baltimore Ravens and you trade for Tyler Huntley. You make that move if you are Stephen Jones and Jerry Jones. I thought last year Huntley did a great job replacing Lamar Jackson in that Ravens offense. Last year, his numbers weren't impressive. He had three touchdowns, four interceptions, 1,081 passing yards. Tyler Huntley did. He played last year in four games. He went one and three. But he did have 1,000 yards passing. And then also, he did a great job running the football. He had 294 rushing yards, two touchdowns in those four games played last year for the Baltimore Ravens. So if you're the Cowboys, you want to save your season, you make a trade for Tyler Huntley. Everybody go follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. It's that time of the week. NFL Week 1 Breakout Performer of the Week. And my NFL Week 1 Disappointing Performer of the Week. It is the one and only Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes was sensational in Week 1. He went 30 of 39. He threw for 360 pass yards, five touchdowns, no interceptions. Patrick Mahomes was outstanding in week one. He is my NFL week one breakout performer of the week. Now, my NFL week one disappointing performer of the week, it's Aaron Rodgers. And the reason why I'm saying Aaron Rodgers is my NFL week one disappointing performer of the week it's because of Aaron Rodgers' greatness and the standard that we hold Aaron Rodgers to. Aaron Rodgers goes 22 of 34. He threw for 195 passing yards, no touchdowns, one interception. So he was awful. But I'll give Aaron Rodgers a pass because he's dealing with those young receivers. But he's my NFL Week 1 Disappointing Performer of the Week. But I think this honestly is, and I know I'm on, it's only Week 1, but I got to do this. This is an award that Aaron Rodgers is going to share with Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow, he goes 33 or 53, 338 passing yards, two touchdowns, four interceptions, two fumbles. So Joe Burrow and Aaron Rodgers are both my NFL Week 1 disappointing performers of the week. The excuse I could give Aaron is the young receivers, but he's still, according to his standards, had an awful game. Joe Burrow was rusty, and six turnovers is awful. You got to do better, Joe. And I expect Joe to bounce back in week two against the Cowboys. But that's my NFL week one disappointing performers of the week, Aaron Rodgers, Joe Burrow, and my week one breakout performer of the week is Patrick Mahomes. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Let me sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. I'll be back on Wise Guys on the Worldwide Sports Network on Thursday. But remember, on Thursdays, I'm going to be coming on early around 6 p.m. because we got the Thursday night matchups.
that take place at 8.20. So I want to be off air by the time the Thursday night game starts. And Thursday night's game is going to be a great one. Justin Jefferson and Patrick Mahomes, AFC West battle. I'll be previewing that game on Thursday night's show. I'm also going to be previewing other big-time games in week two. And I'm going to be giving everyone my NFL wise picks for week two. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore Wakes. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Don't forget you can catch the Wise Guys podcast on all the major podcast platforms like Spotify, like the Apple Podcast app on the iPhone, on Google Podcasts as well. You can catch the Wise Guys Sports Show. It'll be, it'll be on the podcast platforms for sure. And we'll be live on Thursday night, back talking the latest in sports news. Everybody, enjoy your Tuesday. I'm Trey Larkin signing off the Worldwide Sports Network. Have a good one. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network.